Welcome to the School Connect podcast. At School Connect, we know it takes a village to help every child reach their full potential. So, each episode, we'll hear stories of normal people who became heroes, solving community problems in powerful and creative ways. We know these stories will inspire you to create the change you hope to see. So Tracy, we are meeting again. We're coming almost to the end of season two, which is really hard for me to believe as we think about how long we've been doing this podcast. And it's been super exciting. And over the podcast series, I think our listeners have been able to get to know you on a personal level a little bit more, right? So we know you love flowers. Uh We know that you love chocolate. We know that you like to travel. You're a very proud grandmother and a proud parent. So I have an interesting question that I'm a big music fan. I love music. So I don't know that I would know what's on Tracy Beal's playlist whenever she's out and about. So what I want you to share with us is like, what is your go-to genre of music? Yeah, that's so funny that you would say that. When my kids were growing up, they were in like middle school and high school. I gave them the car music. I said, whatever you want to play. I will listen to you. And so I let them choose. And then I got into their music. And so I listened to that for years. My boys were a band for many years through high school, college. You were a band mom? I am a band mom. I had the whole like rehearsal in my house. I had the traveling bands on tour that stayed at my house. And so that's a lot of the kind of music that I've listened to. But I would say... That every night I sleep to music. I have a daughter-in-law who owns yoga studios and she found this very kind of beautiful, all instrumental music that I listen to when I'm going to sleep. So okay. I, I'm, I'm weirdly enough, I'm also into Irish music. I'm not exactly okay. sure why, but when I went to Ireland, I fell in love with their music as well. So I feel like I'm very eclectic. Yeah. So when you're rolling down the road to your next meeting, do you have Irish music on the car or do you have (laughs) instrumental music on the car or is there something else? Yeah, I would say that I just play whatever is on Pandora. Like I have a whole bunch. I have a mixes and Mm. my youngest son actually just sent a mix of the music he likes. So I've just been listening to that in the car as I travel. So So you're still letting your kids determine your music. I'm impressed. I like, I'm impressed with their taste. What can I say? All right. Well, well, that's how good. How about you, well, Tim? What do you listen to as you travel around in your car? It really depends on the mood that I'm in. So if I'm going to a place where I have to get like pumped up, because you know, I'm an introvert. Like I know people don't understand that, but I'm like an introvert to this You're the extreme. ultimate introvert. I am. Yeah. So whenever I'm going somewhere where I have to be an extrovert, I play like, crazy pumped up like game music to get me in the mood right Uh but whenever I'm leaving and I'm going home it's more kind of low-key that kind of music I will say you know me I love concerts like I love like every single week I know I love concerts and so I go to Christian concerts country western concerts I actually got to go to Taylor Swift's concert, both concerts when she opened in the Valley. There's a whole story behind that we don't have time for. But yeah, I'm the same way. I like a lot of different music. 
But that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. It was just <laughs> an opportunity for our listeners to continue to get to know Tracy Beal. Oh, well, thank you, Tim. Of yes. course. So we are excited because we have a wonderful and amazing friend, Elle Lerner. She is a former Valley News anchor and education reporter. She's the mom of three, and she has all kinds of adventures that she is on at this stage of her life and her career. So, Danielle, I'm so glad to have you. Hi, Tracy and Tim. It's great to be here with you today. Well, we would ask you what music you like, yeah, and that will take the podcast in a whole <laughs> so I had a feeling this was going to happen. So as you were talking, I was making notes in my head. Tim, I am very much like you. I guess both of you all over the map. I've got Christian. I've got country. I've got rock, all sorts of different types of music. Tracy, I'm very much in line with you in that my girls dictate what is on in the car right now. But given Frozen, their age, are you still listening to Frozen? It's Frozen. It's Moana. It's Coco. It's Disney. Coco. Um, Whoa, that's yes. one of my favorite. All that music is so good. It is. Thankfully, they really like some of the really good ones. So I can handle it. So that's really what I listen to most of the time because I'm with them all the time and we're in the car most of the time. So, but I love that idea of connecting with your kids over what they're into and what they're listening to. So I'm taking notes for the future on that one. Do they, do they sing out loud with the music? And so you crank it up and everybody's singing <laughs> full on. That's what my granddaughters do. I've got four little granddaughters who are between six and two. And all of them sing like crazy, all of those songs. So their parents bring it up and they're just singing like like crazy. Yes, we have gotten to that stage. There's a particular Disney movie called Zombies out there. And the original one actually has a great soundtrack. I'm being honest when I say I actually really enjoy that soundtrack myself. And so there are some songs on there where we're all in the car and it turns on my oldest one, especially she's our little performer. And our four year old is just now starting to dip her toe in there. And our 18 month old is just always shouting and making noise. So it, it works out well. It does. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're in the camp of uh, Tim does it. He participates with his kids through the concerts and I did it in the car. So it's fun, whichever way you choose to go. The car is cheaper than concerts. That's <laughs> if you want to know that. Because yes. whenever I go to a concert, it's not like let's sit in the nosebleed and just say we were there. It's like, let's get backstage if we can. But anyways, we're going to totally ruin this I podcast. was thinking about that problem exactly when you said that you were at both Taylor Swift concerts. When she came in town, I'm, I'm starting to try to calculate that, but yeah. it's way beyond <laughs> what I could even imagine. So Don't. I probably need to start selling plasma or something. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Okay, we're actually going to talk to Danielle Lerner about her life and journalism. So, Danielle, we would love to hear from you. So what influenced you to become a journalist? Yeah, so it's funny to look back. I was in journalism, broadcast journalism specifically, for more than 15 years before I stepped away from the news desk last year to spend more time with my family and explore other opportunities. But honestly, I almost got my start by accident a little bit. In high school, going into college, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I knew that I loved writing. I always loved storytelling. Uh -huh. I also liked performing and did a lot of theater and a lot of on-camera type things when I was younger. And so going into college, I chose a communications major because I figured, well, you can do a ton of stuff with that. 
And I was still sorting through my options and thought, well, why don't I try going to law school? Because you can do a ton of stuff with a law degree, right? That opens lots of doors. It does. Well, well, then I took a look at the LSAT and was instantly just, this is not my forte. And so my mom actually recommended, because we were here in the Valley, she said, well, what if you try an internship over the summer at one of the news stations here? You love to write. I think you would be great at something like that. Why don't you just check it out? And so sure enough, I did an internship at Fox 10 in Phoenix the summer before my senior year. I interned on the morning show and I just fell in love with it. And not just the on-air aspect of it, but really it was seeing all the work that went into it behind the scenes where you start the day having no idea what your assignment is going to be. You're assigned a That's story. That's every day for me, just so yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's, so it's not just journalism. Okay, got it. <laughs> and just going out into the community and never knowing what you're going to be doing and finding the story, putting it all together. And then it goes out on the newscast that night and just the team effort. And so I was hooked and I went back to college my senior year, did another internship, went to graduate school at Northwestern just to hone those broadcast skills because my undergrad didn't have a great program. And then I jumped into my first TV market in a small town, San Luis Obispo in California, and the rest is history. So it I'm very grateful that I wound up in that field, but it definitely wasn't one that I was dreaming of ever since I was a child. I fell into it and I'm very grateful that I did. I'm so glad that for you, it happened through internships because I think what we're seeing in education across our state and also across the country is an acknowledgement that students really need to have hands-on learning experiences. So the career and technical education side of education and obviously internships like you had, that is the way that so many students would have a wonderful opportunity to discover what they want because what might be happening just on the school side of things might not be enough for them to get a real taste. So that's a really cool thing. I love that that's how you got there. And so, of course, you said a 15-year career in journalism. Do you have any change of perspective on journalism over these years? Well, I think when you look at journalism over just the past 15 years, it has changed immensely. And when I say changed, I think the mission of journalists is still the same, to go out to hold people accountable to inform their communities, to be connected with their communities and tell stories that are happening around them. I think that mission is still very much there. I think it has changed in that people can get their news from so many different sources now. And so it's really a lot harder to engage people in journalism, not just from working in journalism, but to get people to consume news from your particular platform. I think that has become quite a bit harder. And so the industry, which kind of went from when I was starting 15 years ago to really focusing on that 5, 6, and 10 p.m. newscast, that was the big focus for broadcast journalists. You do your story, it airs, you go home, do the same thing the next day. Really, it's become a 24-hour type news cycle, even for the local stations. I mean, even, well, especially during COVID, but You're constantly updating social media. You're doing newscasts. You're making stories special for certain platforms on TV, like Roku's and Amazon Fire Sticks all have their own platforms now. And so you're turning content for maybe six or seven platforms instead of just one. 
And so it, it's harder to tell those really in-depth stories and to take the time to, to flesh out some of those stories and to make really good connections, honestly. I think that's what I've noticed quite a bit. It's nice that people are more accessible. I can communicate directly with viewers on Facebook or Twitter and engage with them more. But as far as old school boots on the ground journalism, it's a lot harder to do that now. I can totally understand what you're saying. And I had not been thinking about it from a journalism perspective, right? <laughs> Only from a consumer kind of perspective. And yeah, as a consumer, you have all these options. And so you really are deciding depending on what time of day you are, you know, it is and where you are and who you're around or what just comes across your telephone, right? I mean, they're just all of this information that is coming at you all the time. And I hadn't thought about the idea that it's harder to make sure that you're actually, I mean, because you want to tell the story to your audience. Right. And then to do that, who is your audience and mm -hmm. how much are they paying attention and how will they take, how will they consume this and how long do you have their attention? I'm sure that's yes. changed. That has definitely changed. Yeah. If you watch a newscast, you're probably going to see the average amount of time they spend on one story is probably 45 seconds, maybe on wow. TV anyway. Yeah. If you're lucky and it's a bigger story, you might get a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. Of course, if it's a big investigation, then you might get seven or eight minutes, but that's only happening once, maybe once a month. So it really is. It's tough to get people's attention and to keep it. So social media and the pace of life right now, it creates more opportunities to engage with people. But at the same time, you have to work harder to figure out who you're engaging, what type of content they want, how mm -hmm. they want it. And you need to make sure you're telling the right story on top right. of all of that. So right. it's definitely different than it was even 15 years ago. Wow. One thing that I think was really interesting as you were talking about this is also the number of journalists are different today. So if you think about it, really, with the invention of social media and the ability to have a camera and to go viral and do all these things, technically, everybody is a journalist to a certain degree. And I think that's a lesson that our kids are not learning in the yeah. early days as they have access to all of these social medias and they're filming things and they're recording things and they're putting it out there in the same way a journalist would, right? But not with the training that you had as a journalist. Mm -hmm. What do you, I mean, that's totally something that just caught my mind as we were having this conversation is there was a time where there were a very select few who could get the story and record it and share it. But now you're sharing a story that potentially thousands have already shared from their own perspective, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it's young people, it's adults. I mean, the amount of people out there doing journalism, technically right. telling stories right. about what's happening around them, giving insight. Yes, it's absolutely skyrocketed. And I think that's where that ability to critically think and know right. where certain content is coming from is so important, especially for younger people, because they're growing up with access to all of this technology. This is normal for them. And so they may not understand the difference sometimes between different types of journalists or different types right. of outlets. They appear to be the same, but we would go through that here all the time. The local affiliates here were very separated from the national affiliates. And right. so right. I was at the ABC station. So people would think that I was connecting with Robin Roberts 
often on GMA. And I would have to say, oh, that'd be great because she seems awesome. But no, we're very separate. We're not the same. And those lines become even more blurred when you start talking about social media and just access to technology in general. Right. Right. So when you think about the kids of today, I mean, they have a very different perspective and access to things. How would you say, what can educators do today to really encourage our students to explore a career in journalism, A, and B, do you feel like based on your journalistic training that you've had over the years, that maybe that should be kind of something for everyone to learn because everyone's a journalist in this world? Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, I think I know where you're going with that. And first, I have to say, I have just been blown away by some of the journalism programs that are already happening in some of our high schools. Obviously, the programs at the collegiate level have really just exploded at ASU and some of our other universities. But really, the high schools are doing a wonderful job in the programming they're offering, which I've been so impressed with. We didn't have anything like that when I was going to school here. I think it's important to foster an interest in journalism because communities will always need journalists. It may look different in how you deliver the information, but I truly believe we will always need those storytellers. We will always need those people with that natural curiosity to ask questions and to hold people accountable and to tell the stories and keep people informed. It's funny that you mentioned my journalistic training, because going into this episode here in this conversation, I was thinking about the skills, in my opinion and experience, of course, that make a good journalist. And I think that those are skills that everybody could benefit from. Things like critical thinking, that, that natural curiosity to question what's happening around you, that desire to find answers to those questions, fact finding, But Mm -hmm. also the ability to see two sides of a story or two sides of an argument and listen to both sides and be able to to present both sides of that argument objectively, I think is so important. And especially just the ability to connect. I think that's something that real good journalism requires you to really connect with the people that you're interviewing. And it's hard to do that. I mean, you have to make Mm -hmm. an effort through not just email and text, but face to face and having those conversations and developing that trust. And I think that's a skill that's waning, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I think also as we think about as our students are growing up and they have so much access to so much content, I catch myself, I will admit, I had stumbled down the TikTok rabbit hole once or twice a week, maybe. And you scroll through that and you listen to what's being shared And you have to put you have to put some checks in there like this is one person's perspective. This is like because you could very easily take this as the truth, the gospel, whatever the case might be. And I can only imagine what our kids go through when they're going through that process and don't have that filter or that lens to view from. Uh, I would just think it would be valuable for educators also to think, how do we take some of those things and make it a general ed type of conversation. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of things I think are missing in gen ed, and that would be, I think, one of them. But that's just my idea, my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I scroll all the time as well. That's by, I think they call it revenge scrolling at night where you're just taking your time (laughs) back and staying up way too late because you want your alone time. That's, That's me, I'm guilty. And yeah, it's just, it's amazing how much is out there. And I mean, I have younger kids, so thankfully we're not in that boat yet with social media, but 
Absolutely. I think knowing that kids are going to have access to these different outlets, helping them learn how to, you know, question what they're seeing and also how to dig into, well, where's this information coming from? What could possibly be their motive for putting this information out? That that critical thinking that we talked about before. Yep. How they consume it and how they produce it would be an interesting thing for us to share with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had the craziest experience uh, about a week ago. One of my granddaughters is in kindergarten. So same age as your (laughs) daughter, right? Mm -hmm. In kindergarten. And she just started learning how to knit. And so she and her mother have been knitting and they're part of a knitting club, which is teaching them. And so I knew they had just gotten started on this before I even knew that they had gotten very far. My little granddaughter, her name is Andine. She had created a how to knit video. And so she literally showed from taking yarn off the skein, making a yarn ball, how to do the knitting. She showed the knitting they'd done. And she she was sitting next to her mother while she did this how to video. And she said, and she made the camera have to turn toward her mother. And then she said, she hardly believes that this is actually going to grow. She thinks like, we aren't making any progress. But Andine said, but she's not right because every single time you knit, it turns into a row. And this is what you get as a result. And the perspective she had, and she was cogent, she was clear, she was interesting. I thought, she's like, here go for I know. Child teaching knitting. And I could learn based on what she was sharing as she made it personal and interesting and even shared that personal moment with her mom's perspective of knitting. And I just thought, man, this is what's happening from the time they're kindergarten. Mm -hmm. They're going to be totally uh, apt at doing some of these things that I never would have thought that we would ever see them do. Right. Yeah. 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 That's amazing that she, in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, she's already a little videographer over there with all the different shots. And the. I think she might have a future in that. Well, who knows? But that is to say, I think that what we're really saying is everybody's becoming to some degree or other, I'm maybe not a broadcast journalist, but they're learning how to tell stories. They're learning right. how to communicate what they're interested in. They're teaching, they're sharing the things they're learning and teaching somebody else these days. If we don't know how to do something on our house, we go to a YouTube video immediately, right? And we're all authors of some kind or other. So I think that's so interesting. Okay, but I want to change direction for a minute because you, for the first time, have child in school. So all the years you were doing journalism and focused on education, journalism, you didn't have your own child in school. And so I just thought it would be so interesting to to describe like ways that you're involved in your school and what you would say to people about being involved in their local school. Yeah, my oldest, Addison, she's six. She just started kindergarten this year. And so this is our first year of having a kiddo in school full time. Before that, they were going two or three days a week as needed. And it's really been eye-opening on so many different levels. It's funny because when you think that I did cover education for so long without a child in school, now I really see what what it's like to have a kiddo in there. So it's given me tremendous perspective in that, you know, seeing what the teachers and staff and administrators 
do every single day to to make school happen. We've talked about the principal at my daughter's school, and he just goes above and beyond doing seemingly mundane things, right? Crossing guard, greeting the kids every day, helping them out of cars. He's at the PTA meetings. He's I mean, he's literally everywhere. We joke he's probably got a cot somewhere and just sleeps at school. But it's those little things that I see as a parent and appreciate so much as a parent. And I've realized that I don't think educators, I think sometimes they they don't realize that we see that and that we appreciate that because yes. it just it's part of what they do, right? It's, well, yeah, of course, we're going to be out here every day greeting the kids. Of course, we're going to be doing these lessons for them. But to us, we see that and appreciate that. So that's been eye-opening, just what it takes every day to to make school happen. Also, I've had the privilege, I volunteer once a month in Addison's classroom. So I've gotten to know all the kids in her class, which has been great. Her teacher, her the kids in the classrooms next to her. So that has been wonderful as well, not just to see what she's doing in her classroom and be a part of it, but also just to get to know everybody inside the school, to see the inside of the school and just feel connected to to that community has been wonderful. So in that way, it's been great. I can't encourage people enough to be involved in their child's school as much as they can, right? I'm thankful that I'm able to volunteer in her class one morning a month, but when I was working full time, I couldn't do a lot of that type of volunteer work or be with them during the day. So any way you can, whether it's school events, even something as simple I've noticed as you know, walking her up to the door to drop her off in the morning and picking her up at the door because you see all the other parents and you see the same teachers and just really building that sense of community, which is so important for the success of the students and really the school in general. Yeah, I love that because then your child's friends are becoming friends of your family and those families are overlapping. And then those families like you are connected to all kinds of resources and experiences, as I'm sure your husband is and they are. So that then becomes a network of incredible experiences, expertise, resources that can be brought right into classrooms, right, which makes the whole kind of fabric of community very rich. Yes, absolutely. And we lucked out that our neighborhood elementary school is wonderful. And so a lot of the kids that go to her school also live in our neighborhood. And I've been able to meet a lot of the moms. And in fact, just the other day, because usually we're all hanging out in front of the school while the kids play. And I had said in passing, hey, we should have like a mom's night out. Let's hang out without our kids for once. (laughs) We love them, but let's hang out. And so we did. And it was great because we had moms there who work full time, moms who stay at home. And it had started as this idea, but the chain went out to, hey, I'll invite this person. I'll invite this person. And we went out a couple of weeks ago and we had 12 moms out having appetizers and hanging out and that sounds dangerous <laughs> i just want to say no, i know right that sounds like fun. but it was I, I sat there and i just i walked away with this sense of like gosh i'm so thankful that we have this community but just to to connect with other people who are in that same space as you are and to feel like you've got a support system has been has been huge for us and So in whatever way you can of being involved or even just taking the time to get to know the not just your child's teacher, but maybe the principal, the front office staff, just the people who are around your child during the day more than you are sometimes, which is which was a crazy thought at first when we started. 
I think well, it's, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. No, you're good. No, you're good. Go ahead. Well, I just think it's such a beautiful thing to recognize that as parents and your, you, yours are very young, but as <laughs> parents, as you go, they need to hear from other people the same thing you were saying. <laughs> Sometimes it's the friend's mom or dad who says, now we want to make sure not to, you know, dirty up the couch or whatever it is, yeah. right? Pay attention to inviting somebody else to the to play at, mm-hmm. in the playground, right? And sometimes we need other family members, other friends, other people who are respected who can speak into those kids' lives and say the same thing so that you create this safety net around your child and they're getting things, positive things reinforced, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and of course, that's what I love so much about School Connect, just to tie it in, because that idea of pairing community organizations and maybe people who are outside of the education space, but mm-hmm. know they can bring value to these students and these families. I mean, that's just such a great thing. Totally. So you're going to be helping us here in a couple of weeks on a very important event where we're going to be celebrating educators. And this is your second year to come back to the Champions of Education Awards Breakfast to be our MC and our hostess and to guide us to that conversation And so I wanted to first ask the question, why are you coming back? Like one year, I mean, I'm sure you have lots of opportunities. Why come back and help celebrate educators with School Connect? Well, so I actually reached out to Tracy and said, hey, are you doing this? I know. Because because that was so fun. And again, one of the things I loved about covering education was that ability to highlight the positive things that are happening throughout Arizona schools, because a lot of times it's very easy to get caught up in the politics and some of the other struggles that schools everywhere are facing. But I just loved getting in there and highlighting the good that was happening. And so for me, this event is the pinnacle of that, of highlighting the incredible things that are happening, not just from our educators, but also those community partners and really showing that connection and how you create that community and the importance of community. So Yeah, I loved it last year. It was eye-opening and just so wonderful to be in that room with such positivity and hope and joy. And so, of course, I wanted to go back. (laughs) Right. So talk talk to us about what you would say. I mean, it's great to be able to give an award out at an event like ours, but there has to be things or ideas that you have of ways that we can award and celebrate our educators every day of the year. Any thoughts on that? I think what I have learned in my years of talking with educators and connecting with educators, even just our local high school principal here, who I rave about all the time, I don't think educators ever expect fancy awards or anything like that. Those are wonderful to get that recognition. I Even just a simple, hey, thank you for what you're doing. Or, hey, my daughter came home today and she could not stop talking about that lesson you did in class today. Oh my gosh. I mean, I have found that just those small moments of recognition and gratitude go such a long way for so many educators. And so I would encourage everybody out there who comes in contact with teachers, administrators, school staff, just to take a moment and say thank you. Or if you see someone doing something that you're particularly impressed by, tell them, say, hey, I saw you doing this. I think it's great that you're so present every morning because I guarantee you that they're sitting on the other end thinking, well, this is just what I do every day. It's it's just part of the job. But I think anytime you can express gratitude, I think that goes a really long way. Agreed. 
Agreed. Well, I think that's a great way to end as we end our conversation is express gratitude to you for joining us today and for sharing your insights on journalism and how that connects to the education space. And also for reminding us of the importance to really celebrate educators. And for our listeners, if you're not able to join us in person at our Champions of Education Awards breakfast, you can check out our website here in a couple of weeks and you'll be able to get a feel for all of the stories behind the award winners, what went into it, and really be able to virtually experience that. And I would just challenge you, be on the lookout next year around the first part of the year when you have the opportunity to nominate your Champions of Education, and then you can join us for that event in 2024. But Tracy, as we wrap up today, we always challenge our listeners. The one thing I would love to see one listener do is go to the podcast thing and like give us five stars or give us a little compliment or Uh, encouragement. Wouldn't that be cool if someone could like us on social media and do that on the podcast platforms? I would love that. Yeah, that would be good. What are some other things that our listeners can do to really move the message and the vision of School Connect forward? One of the things we always talk about is the chance to volunteer in a local school. And I just want to angle that right now. The first couple of weeks of May are teacher appreciation or staff appreciation in schools all over the country. And one of the things that has really impressed me that a principal said to me just this week, they said there's are people who don't leave their work at home or they don't leave their work at work. They bring their work home, meaning they love those kids. They think of them all day, all night. It's a 24-7 experience. And so I just want to encourage people, go to your local school, whether you have kids in that school or not, bring a coffee to a teacher, bring a Pepsi, bring a muffin to the principal because that one small thing will just enlighten their entire experience. Agreed. Agreed. And we also would challenge our listeners, if you're in the ability to give financially, to consider School Connect as an organization that you would invest your funds in. We have so much opportunities here locally and nationally. Mm -hmm. And the only way that we can do that is if we continue to expand our financial investors as we move forward. What would be something else someone can do, Tracy? Well, another thing is we would love to build a village of support strategic partnerships around every school in Arizona, there are 2,485 of them. So if for some reason you don't have the School Connect model at your school district, we would love to help you do that. And of course, we started in nine other cities across the country. So if you're interested, then reach out to us at info at schoolconnectaz.org. Very good. And then also, as we wrap up, we would just encourage you to share the podcast on your platforms of choice. Let your friends, families, colleagues know about how this podcast is impacting you so that this podcast could impact somebody else and have the ability to grow a village somewhere else. Anything else, Tracy, before we wrap up? Well, and then share this with potential journalists. Oh, I like that. I like that. Now Danielle here. She just shared her story. It's Maybe Danielle can get you and I our own morning show and we would just talk about education all the time. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, yes. Thank you for listening to the School Connect podcast and for being part of our village. Be sure to follow, review, and share this podcast on your chosen platform because more collective voices equal more progress for our kids. If you're interested in finding out more about School Connect and seeing how you can make a difference, go to schoolconnectaz.org for more information.